Welcome to The Thriving Marriage, the podcast for those who want to get their spouse back in love with them and truly thrive. You'll learn why 95% of people don't save their marriage and the secret method no one else is talking about that will change everything for you. Are you ready? 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 Let's Let's turn turn tragedy tragedy to to triumph. triumph. Here are your hosts, international marriage experts, Mark Johnston and Heather Choate. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Good to have you all here. Now, as you might notice, I am here solo today. I don't have Heather with me, but that's all right. Um, today, we are going to be talking about a couple things. We're, we're really talking a lot about resistance. Uh, we're talking about what is going on if um, you have a resistant spouse. And specifically, what I mean by this is someone who is resistant to making some changes within the relationship, someone who is um, not wanting to work on the relationship. Um, Before we get into all of that, I do want to talk about a client win of the week. Um, We have someone from one of our courses. Um, This this person, you know, is, I I think, signed up with one of our courses. Anyways, she's saying she had a win tonight that her husband came and picked up the girl's uh, for his week with picked the girls up for his week with them and we talked for almost six hours we're both very open and honest he wants to come back and work things out with me but he's scared that the changes won't be permanent one step at a time here this is literally the best program i've ever tried thank you mark and heather and i i really liked this particular win because i thought it really fit the theme of what we were discussing today in you know that the whole resistance theme if we look at the comment, uh, this woman, she is saying like that her husband is scared that the changes won't be permanent. He's a little bit hesitant. He's lacking some amount of trust. And these are all things that are very, very common when we are trying to get out of a, a crisis situation within a relationship. But before we get into all that um, talk about resistance, I do want to get into the question that we all had for you. And that was, what do you think are the reasons that a spouse might be resistant to reconciliation? So we always, uh, we, we like to poll all of you and see what you have to say on things. Uh, and we have a whole lot of different answers. We have a lot of people saying that there are emotional wounds or lack of trust. There's a lack of belief in change. And I'm going to point out <laughs> Isn't that just what we were seeing in the that comment that we just heard from one of our course members? Um, we tend to see those big things, that lack of trust and lack of belief in change. Um, we get a lot of that. And this, uh, I think the other big one that you all mentioned was the, those emotional wounds. And, you know, a lot of that, it has to do with fear of getting hurt again, fear of you know, making themselves vulnerable. Um, I'm seeing several comments about fear. Um, someone mentioned here, fear of being told that she's an idiot for going back. Uh, some people talking about selfishness, but we see some patterns. And I, I think a lot of you are seeing some of the patterns as well. <coughs> Excuse me. So getting into all this, we're talking about resistance and specifically resistance to reconciliation. 
And I imagine a lot of you are here because of this very thing. Um, a lot of who we help with our company with High Thrive Coaching are those people who want to work on their relationship, but their, their partner for one reason or another doesn't is, is just done. They're, they're saying that they want out, they're ready to separate, maybe they've started an affair, maybe they've submitted papers for, for divorce. And it gets really difficult to turn that around. And so how we define resistance in, in these cases is a, an unwillingness to, to look at a lot of the solutions um, that might be available when trying to work out um, problems within the marriage. So you, you all might have seen some of this at various points within your own relationship. Maybe this looked like some shutting down or sweeping problems under the rug. Maybe it goes the other direction and gets a bit hot, as in the conversation tends to escalate and there's a lot of blame and criticism that doesn't really go anywhere and doesn't become anything productive. Maybe there is a refusal to go to therapy, something like that, or refusal just to talk about any, anything. I know on my end, you know, I think we all have our our own personal vices in, in this regard, like when things are a little bit uncomfortable and how we approach it. I, I know on my end, I, I tend to be the one that shuts down a little bit when things get a little bit too uncomfortable. I've had to learn to work through that and to open up a lot more with my wife. We've have we've had to learn together to to trust each other, but that takes some time and effort. So maybe you were seeing this from your spouse. Maybe you're seeing them shutting down. Maybe you're seeing them refuse to work on things. And I thought a good place to start with all this is a discussion of why this happens. My personal opinion is that this tension, this drama, this resistance can come down to, to three types. We have a lot of uh, tension and resistance coming from this sort of victim mentality. Maybe there's a lot of feelings of being overwhelmed, maybe the feelings of sadness. Um, you'll hear the, the sort of statements like, why does this always happen to me? Or why, why are you always being so mean? Why are you trying to control me? Why are you, it's, it's very much of like, why are you doing this to me sort of energy? We also have a hero sort of mentality, but still not good. That's a lot of feelings of resentment and bitterness. And statements like, why do I always have to be the one to fix things? Why do, you know, why does it have to be my responsibility? Why am I always the one at fault? Uh, you might have a third type, a persecutor type of resistance, a lot of feelings of anger and frustration. Statements like, why does everyone around me keep messing things up? Like, why can't you just get things right? Why can't you just, you know... <laughs> Why can't you just be responsible? Why can't you just um, get your act together? You know, why do you have to mess? Yeah, it's, why do you have to mess everything up? Now, you might have recognized these three types. This comes back to um, a discussion that we have sometimes within the this podcast about about the drama triangle, and I do think that a lot of this resistance comes from these sort of ideas. It's these sort of uh, mentalities, these roles that are played out, 
that really keep make make it difficult to approach any sort of solution. Um, maybe your your partner is showing a slightly different flavor of this, but it usually comes down to one of these ideas. Now, I want to in talking about this in these three different flavors of resistance, I want to point out that nearly 100% of the time, if your partner is showing this kind of resistance, it's because they are trying to solve their flavor of the problem. Not in healthy ways, mind you, not in great ways that are actually going to get some great results, but they are usually trying to solve their problem. You know, if they're in that victim mentality, they may shut down and turn inward, but what they're really trying to do is they're trying to shut other people out. They're trying to push people away that are, in their opinion, treading on them and, you know, in stepping on, on some of their their rights, their feelings, their and whatnot, you'll tend to see like the this victim mentality when they are trying to solve things and they're re resisting solutions. It usually comes out as setting some really high boundaries. They might say, well, I'm not going to let you walk all over me anymore. I'm not going to let you control me, um, things like that. If they're in that hero mentality, it may look similar. It's a slightly different. They still might retreat. They still might block other people out. But usually it's because they're not allowing for any requests or accommodations. Um, at extreme levels, those requests might be viewed as toxic. So you might see these people say, I'm not going to help you out anymore. Um, you can't come crying to me with your problems. You know, things like that. The shutting out is because they've been, they feel like they've accommodated too much. And so they push other people away for those reasons. Meanwhile, the persecutor, they what I tend to see is they step away from responsibility. There's high amounts of blaming others. They abandon those who are seen as problems. But once again, like all of these things, the reason why the, this resistance is showing up is because they are trying to solve the, the tension and the drama that they're feeling. They don't want to be frustrated by those around them, even if they themselves are partially to blame. They don't want to feel responsible for others, even if you haven't asked them to be responsible for you. And they don't want to feel like the victim, even if there isn't anyone victimizing them. And like I said, your particular partner might have some variations on this, but mostly a lot of this ends in the same result in that it shuts down communication, it shuts down feedback and a lot of what this does is it means that problems are not going to be solved. And I've I've often found this very interesting. The willingness that I have with a lot of my clients to approach problems and to try and solve them and for there to be so much resistance. And I often thought to myself, well, why? Why would there be so much fight to avoid those solutions. And I want to go back to what all of you were saying here a little bit ago. Why is there resistance to reconciliation? And I think you all had the answer there. You were talking about how they've been hurt, those emotional wounds. They've, they feel like 
they can't trust that things will be better. They, they, there's this lack of belief that changes are, are genuine. So here they are going about trying to solve their problem, pushing other people away, pushing people aside, abandoning them, and without really any trust that someone will support them or support what they want from the situation. And this, I, I believe, is how we get around this resistance. Because remember, resistance is coming about because your partner is trying to solve a problem. And if you can solve that problem with them, then there really isn't any need for resistance anymore. Now, of course, there's complications with trust and whatnot, but I think the premise is, is really sound. If you can solve the problem that they are trying to solve themselves, you know, like what they're trying to do by engaging in this resistance, it really isn't that need to push you away, to, to retreat, to block you out, to abandon. So how do we do that? How do we go about joining in on their side, cutting out the resistance? I'm reminded of someone that I talked to a, a while back. This is probably more than a year ago at this point. And I remember talking to her. Uh, she was she was telling me about her relationship. And she was telling me about how her husband is this enemy, always trying to um, undermine her and to to always trying to cause these these problems. And I was really curious about this. I was fortunate enough that I was able to talk to the the husband as well. Um, and he came to me and he said, you know, I, this is not the case at all. Um, you know, I try to, to help him. I try, or I try to help her. I try to support her. I try to talk with her. And she keeps coming to me and saying that I'm being so inflexible and so, um, you know, that I'm, that I'm trying to undermine her constantly. And I found this really interesting that they both came at this feeling like they were trying to solve the problem. And yet both felt like the other person was, was the one resisting and causing the problem. Now, with that particular couple, uh, the solution ended up being, uh, you know, a few things. Um, you know, mostly I had to get them away from a lot of this judgment. And that's where that's where the, the first piece of this comes in, is in a lot of these scenarios, I do think that there needs to be high, high amounts of empathy, understanding, consideration. There needs to be a recognition of why they are struggling and why it's so difficult for them to work with you. I think that tends to go a long way. In this couple that I was talking with, um, the wife, she felt like it was so difficult to work with her husband because as she, she was putting it, he was undermining a lot of her, you know, like what she wanted within the relationship and, and all of this. And really, in her mind, she was this hero sort of person. Here she was, she felt trying to enact all these solutions, and yet she felt like she was still 
blamed for everything that was going wrong. And I'll tell you that when we had a little bit of empathy for that, when we said, hey, you know what, we're recognizing all these efforts and we're recognizing all, all of this that you're trying to do that's, that's good here, she calmed down quite a bit and started to listen a little bit more. Now that didn't solve everything, but similarly, when we turned to the husband and said, hey, look, you know, I don't think you're necessarily the bad guy here that you're trying to undermine everything. Why, why is this behavior coming out? Why does, it, why does it seem like you are undermining things? And on his end, he was feeling attacked quite a bit. And he was feeling like he was made to be the bad guy as well. And so when we had a lot of recognition for his efforts, anyways, it's what I'm getting at is that empathy and understanding for the good things that they were trying to do went a long way. And why that is, here, here was this couple and they're butting heads and they said, I'm trying to do something here and you're causing problems. And neither one wanted to recognize the effort that the other person was putting in. And so they felt like they had to defend themselves. It became this very adversarial sort of situation. And just by breaking that pattern a little bit and saying, hey, look, I'm seeing what the good that you're doing here, it allowed them to put their defenses down. They didn't have to defend themselves quite as much. So they were able to put that down and talk a little bit more. Now, that didn't solve everything for this couple. Um, I think the second item here, you know, how you can join in on their side and cut out resistance is fine, is building some space for trust. We can't expect everything to change right away. And even this couple, even though we started calming things down, there was still a lack of trust. There's this caution, like, what is my partner? What if my partner turns on me? What if they take what I'm sharing with them and they weaponize that and they turn it against me to, to blame and criticize me? I mean, after all, there were reasons for their resistance. There's reasons in your relationship for your partner to resist. And your partner is trying to solve a problem in their own way. So the question becomes, how do we move towards healthier collab collaboration without forcing your partner to abandon all their safety nets? If your partner is shutting down and you say you can't shut down anymore, that's a scary prospect. It's a scary thing to say you have to trust me completely, that you have to open up completely. And so when we're trying to build this back up and work with them and reduce resistance, it's important to incorporate some of this space for building trust and recognizing that that's okay. And the more that you recognize that, like, hey, this is a hard situation and we want to make sure that there's a space that feels safe where we're building things and we want to not necessarily get rid of all the defenses right away, it means that they don't have to defend themselves quite as much because you are creating that space for them and allowing for that defense to be there. Third item is having some boundaries. And I will agree, I know a lot of you are probably sitting here saying, well, okay, this is all well and good, this is all nice, but what if my partner is a jerk? <laughs> what if they're the one trampling on me? What if they're the one yelling and raising their voice? Okay, so sometimes certain behaviors 
sometimes resistance crosses way over the line into really unhealthy territory. Let's say that, you know, part of your partner shutting down, part of them pushing you away also means retreating to another partner, another romantic interest. I'm sure some of you have experienced that. And it's really important in these scenarios that there are boundaries in place to keep you safe and mentally healthy. And at the same time, with those boundaries, that there are paths towards solutions that are offered. I think too often the mistake that happens here is that people consider boundaries a strict, hard wall. Here's this boundary nothing can get through. And that's all fine and good if you want to cut someone out of your life. But if you're trying to fix things, you need to have some conditions under which that your partner can get around that wall, get over that wall. Examples of this might be like, okay, hey, boundary here. You're not allowed to talk to me with disrespect anymore. If you do, I'm going to be exiting the conversation. I'm not going to hear you out. But I do want to hear your opinion. And if you have some feedback, I want to make sure that I can hear it when, once you've calmed down and you can speak with respect. And that sort of example right there illustrates my point here. It's like we can have a wall. We can have very firm boundaries that protect us and allow us to have some self-respect and allow us to have some solutions as well. And I think oftentimes making sure, especially if you're on the quieter end of the spectrum, making sure that you set those boundaries in very confident and proactive ways can, can help shake the relationship up a little bit and force some changes to happen. So that's what I want I wanted to talk about today. We have um, those three things that really need to have some focus, that empathy, that space to build trust, and some very clear and healthy boundaries. Uh, if you think that there's anything else that would really help with getting around some resistance, I mean, we, of course, I, I want to recognize this is not everything. This is not a comprehensive list or a comprehensive discussion. So if you think that I've missed stuff, by all means, let me know in the, the comments. Love to hear your opinion. So uh, our last little bit here, I want to go over our marriage myth buster. We always um, take these sort of things from comments that we see uh, from all of you or from things that we hear when running uh, some of our coaching sessions. This week, uh, the myth buster here is the statement, couples should always have the same financial goals and spending habits. Take a moment to consider that. I mean, that sounds right, doesn't it, to everyone? Like, couples should always have the same financial goals and spending habits. And I want to correct that statement, as outrageous as that might sound. So I, part of the idea is fine. And I think this idea comes about not because not having the same financial goals or not having the same spending habits does create a potential for lots of discord and tension. But I think the better statement here is one where you could say couples should always create room to support each other's individual financial goals and spending habits. So here's the thing. If, uh, if both individuals in the relationship match up in terms of goals and spending habits, great, this is easy. We can see why this is a good thing. It becomes easy to support each other's financial goals and spending habits. If my wife and I are really, really frugal, 
together, it makes it really easy to save for vacations or save for whatever we're looking for. And when that doesn't match up, then you could see that there might be that potential for fights. And that doesn't always that doesn't always match up. And when that doesn't match up in your relationship, it doesn't mean disaster. Like, um, what it does mean is that there does there has to be a lot more structure to make sure that there is support so that each person feels like their values are, well, valued. So as a hypothetical example, if I was really free with my spending and my wife liked to save, we would need some systems in place to make sure that I didn't feel too stifled, perhaps discretionary spending, perhaps there is room in the budget for me to eat out when, when I want, whatever happens to be. But then there would also have to be structure that protects my wife in this hypothetical example for her to save money and put it aside and not feel like I am spending while she's just simply saving. And there's a lot of tools and structure that could be used to create solutions there. I think fairly easily, as long as the couple's willing to, to talk it out. And so that's what I have to say about this, is a lot of these myths, especially with this one, I don't like such absolute statements. And usually, you know, if we approach this with a moderate sort of view and making sure that there is room for each individual within that relationship, most, most of these sort of statements don't really hold much weight. Anyways, um, that's all I want to share with you. Next week, we're going to share how to have your spouse chase after you. I'm sure a lot of you are interested in that. You really would like to feel like you are a little bit more wanted. If that's of interest to you, please uh, listen in next week. And I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to The Thriving Marriage, your A to Z blueprint for not just surviving marriage, but thriving. Until next time, my friends, thrive on.